0: Well, dear friends, I ask you please to turn your prayerful attention to those words that I read to you in your hearing earlier, They're in 2 Samuel and the chapter 19. It is a long chapter, as we have seen, but there are many things that we can learn from this. We have here David being restored back to his place as king and coming back to Jerusalem. And uh, there are a number of things that David does that he shouldn't do uh, that we See, again, David is in a very weak state. David is king, and he has been for much of his time and much of his reign as king, a man after God's own heart. But we see him, we saw him start to go wrong, didn't we, when he took to himself many wives, many concubines, and he began to disobey God's word. Man shall have one wife. And we saw David's fall. God never sanctions polygamy in the Word of God. And we saw that it was the start of David's fall. And then adultery, and then, of course, murder. And then we see how his sons, and particularly Absalom, rebels against him. David, in his sin, made himself a very weak leader. And that can be true of us in our lives. Uh, We not only cause others to stumble, but we can also make terrible compromises if we sin in our lives. Sin hampers us, it slows us down, and we don't run the race as we ought. We too are kings and priests forever, and that we mustn't forget, and I want us to pick up on that theme here this morning. While David is a king, we too... As we're told in the New Testament, as we shall see this morning, are made priests and kings. As priests, we're to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. Of course, Christ has died for us. But as kings, we should not let sin rule over us. David was a good king, so long as sin was not ruling and reigning in his life. And we see failure now. He is being restored back, and there are a number of problems, and he still continues to stumble and to fall in his sin. He is very weak. We see in this chapter that he makes a number of compromises. And uh, this is not good. But we pray that we will learn the lessons from Scripture. The Scriptures say, whatsoever things are written aforetime, are written for our learning." that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so I trust that we can learn from David's pitfalls, and David's stumblings, not to walk in his ways. He did walk in many good ways, but here he is walking in a very dishonorable way, and he is weak. Now, what we see in verses 1 to 3 of this chapter As we recall what happened in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, remember Absalom, his son, his rebellious son, who tried to kill him and who tried to take the kingship, has been slain. And we see David here in verses 1 to 3 engaged in an excessive period of mourning over his son. It's not wrong to mourn over the death of a loved one. But here there is excessive mourning undue. Mourning over a son who really was no good to his father, no good to the kingdom. And David is engaged in an excessive period of mourning over him instead of rejoicing over the Lord's work and the army or the army's victory in the rebellion against Absalom and the wicked people that followed Absalom. David was the rightful king, remember a man after
1: god's own heart and that was very clear although david certainly was no perfect man he was
0: concerned for the lord's cause and david really is quite different to absalom absalom was an unbeliever he died and it seems an unrepentant man no sorrow in his heart and This is quite strange here how David laments Absalom, and we notice how the people really tiptoe around David and they leave quietly that night as they gather toward him and try to console him, but they tiptoe around him because while they rejoice in the victory over Absalom and the rebellion that he led, they are led to feel ashamed to steal away the situation when it came to this victory in battle. Notice with me in verse 3, but I'll read from verse 1. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day, notice verse 2, was turned into mourning. So there was a rejoicing, but it was turned to mourning unto all the people for or because the people heard say, That day, how the king was grieved for his son, and the people got them by stealth, that is secretly, they got away. That day into the city, as people being ashamed to steal away when they flee in battle. So they were basically tiptoeing around David because he was excessively mourning over this wicked son who was rightfully slain or put to death. It was a good thing that this son was put out of the picture. So instead of rejoicing over the Lord's victory, that's what David should have been doing, David brought the people very low by his attitude. Now, it is right to mourn over the loss of a loved one. Natural affection is good. That's only normal. It would be abnormal for David not to mourn his son. But this is excessive mourning that is undue. You know, yes, David was a father. And as we said, it's right that he, he has a natural affection for his son. But he mustn't forget that he is a king at the same time. Yes, he is a father, but he's also a king. He's not simply a father. And he is forgetting that. He is forgetting that he is a king. God has called him as the king. He is the Lord's anointed. And what he's doing here is not setting a good example to the people. He has taken up in this. The problem is, you see, he loved Absalom blindly. It was a blind love for Absalom. He loved him at the expense of the well-being of the country. There should have been a controlling righteousness in his life now, keeping him back, and keeping him in check. There was not a controlling righteousness. It seemed as if he cared more about Absalom than the people who protected
1: him to save his life. More about the killer than the men who actually
0: went out to battle. Now remember, 20,000 Israelites were slain because of Absalom. 20,000 people, men, they died because of him, because of his pride, because of his arrogance. And David was completely blind to that. He was overlooking the situation, overlooking his son's sin. David's love for his son should have been kept within righteous bounds
1: which not only would have helped him govern his grief, and that's always the case. If we keep our love for people, especially our loved
0: ones, within righteous bounds, that will help us in our grief. It will govern us in our grief. And it will help us in our
1: calling. Remember what I said, we are called as Christians, to be kings. In what sense? That sin should not
0: rule and reign in your heart. This is what Paul tells us. Let not sin have dominion over you. This love for his son was inordinate. He was allowing his love for the son to override... And to surpass his love for God and the kingdom and the people and God's cause. That's what he was doing. It was an excessive love. The problem is he was overtaken by the sorrow of Absalom's death.
1: So he lost sight of what was really important. Did Absalom love him? No. He's also losing sight of the king to come. What had God said? It wasn't to be Absalom, but it was to be Solomon. If you
0: turn to First Chronicles 22, verse 8, you'll notice the Lord
1: had already told David that Solomon should reign, that he should have a son,
0: and that, that son Solomon, David already knows this, not Absalom should reign. First Chronicles 22, verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, of course, this is the time that David wanted
1: to build the temple, and we know this has already passed. You remember when he was in Jerusalem? And this,
0: by the way, is, is a sort of a commentary on that period, and we have an insight, the very fact that God had spoken to David. First Chronicles twenty two eight. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Now notice, behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest. From all his enemies ran about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. So David knew that it, it was not to be Absalom, but it was to be Solomon. And he ought to have been rejoicing in God's promise. God had spoken to him directly and said, if you just notice, 2nd Samuel 7 again same time 2nd Samuel 7 verse 12 and when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers i will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and i will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and he goes on to to not only speak of solomon but of Jesus Christ David should have been looking at the greater promise not only how it would be fulfilled in Solomon as we read there from 1st Chronicles 22 but also there 2nd Samuel 7 how a greater than Solomon would come into the world so 1st Chronicles 22 verse 8 gives us an insight to what God spoke personally to David. And David knew this. But David was merely concerned with this rather earthly son, Absalom, that has been taken away. And not been thinking about the eternal kingdom to come that would come through the loins of Solomon. One who could say that a greater than Solomon is here. And this tells us something, doesn't it? As we come on this scene, what does it tell us? We must never forget, friends, that in everything, if we are the Lord's people and if he has redeemed us from the curse of the law and if he has redeemed our life, and that's what he has done. He's given us a new life. We're not only redeemed from the wrath to come, and that wrath has been expiated, but it tells us that we have a calling now. And we must honor God now, no matter what comes to us in this life. No matter what the losses are, no matter what the crosses are, in every grief, we must honor the Lord. That was Job's attitude. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
1: Job knew that comfort, didn't he? That the Lord was on his throne. And above all, we must honor God. When we honor God, it will help us in our grief in life.
0: We have to believe God is on his throne. Friends, let me say, there is never a contradiction in honoring the Lord and that which is good for us. When we honor the Lord, it is always good for us. It'll govern us in undue grief, in undue sorrow. Honoring the Lord first will always be good for us. What honors God is always for our best interest, for the very best of our souls. And that is what David should have been doing here. And that really is what we could say to walk worthy. David here was walking very unworthily. He was acting as if Absalom was the be-all and end-all of all things, wasn't he? As if this is it. But what about the great cause of God? What about the one who would eventually rule and reign in Solomon's stead, be upon that everlasting throne of righteousness. Friends, as we thought this morning in the prayer meeting, even our earthly relationships, these things will pass. There is a far more important relationship, isn't there? If we are the Lord's, we are part of that bride of Christ. A relationship that will never be broken up. The union that is there forever. David at this point in his life failed to honor God by being taken up with things that he shouldn't have been taken up. And it was to the dishonor of God and to the hurt of his own life. To the hurt of his own kingship here, even. We see how the people are quite hurt. How he seems to care more about his dead,
1: murderous son, than those who sought to protect his life. And we are kings, as David is a king. We turn you to Revelation 1, 5. we told there. Just like David was to rule, we are also to rule. We're to rule over our sin.
0: We're to be as priests, offering up ourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1. Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God. In what capacity are we kings? Well, we, we rule with him now. If he is in our hearts, we rule with him now. And we shall rule and reign with him in heaven. And
1: we shall not let this world have us. And undue relationships
0: and inordinate affection should not have us. But we should subdue these things. Paul says in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And if we're under grace, the Spirit of God is in our hearts, in our lives, and we must overcome sin. And we must remember that we have far more important things to do. What should we do? We should honor God. We should please him. We should find out what pleases him. And so what we have in verses 5 to 7 is God's providence in using an ungodly man to correct David. He uses Joab. Joab of all men. We know Joab was an ungodly man. And sometimes the Lord has to do this. And you know things have to be pretty bad in your life for the Lord to do that. But my friends, he'll do what it takes to correct his child. He sometimes has to use an ungodly person, an unsaved person to correct us. Now you notice, first of all, Joab tells David of the gratitude that he ought to have had for his men, for those soldiers who delivered David and his family from death. Notice verse 5, and Joab came into the house of the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons, and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives, and the lives of thy concubines.
1: Think about it. It wasn't just David's life that was preserved, but his whole family. He seems to care more about Absalom, then his whole family. You see what sin can do? Inordinate affection for this son.
0: You should have hated sin. And this is just part of God's justice, that it, the son has been swept away. And then you notice something else in the verse 6, and following there, how Joab rebukes him for loving his enemies more than his friends. There's a reference here to Absalom. In that thou had lovest thine enemies, and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived, and all we had died this day,
1: then it had pleased thee well. That is a solemn thing to say. That must have cut David. Has he woken up to what he's doing? He seems to have more affection and more care about Absalom. He says, the way
0: you're behaving, quite frankly, it seems you care more about Absalom, who wanted to kill you, than all these people who risked their lives to save you, and even your own family, who were spared because of them. These people that risked their lives. Now friends, sometimes hard things need to be said, don't they? And sometimes they need to be said rather roughly, And it was said rather roughly but the truth needs to come home, doesn't it? Nothing else could get through to David at this point. And sometimes it takes a rather coarse person, even somebody like Joab, to say it. So it gets driven to the home heart of David. Then we have verse 7, the advice of Joab. Now therefore, arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou goest not forth, there will not tarry one thee with thee this night, that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. He says, well, if you don't take advice, disaster, disaster is sure to happen. If, if you don't act now, disaster is imminent, basically. It'll be all over, David. Because what he was doing is he was showing abject ingratitude to the men who really risked risked life and limb for him, for his sake. And where's the thanks, David? Seems like you're you're more concerned about your wicked, dead son. Now David gets the message, notice verse 8, Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. The idea of him sitting in the, in the gate there is he's ready to be received by the people. Here I am, as it were. And so the Lord uses this man, Joab, this often self-seeking man, to do what? To correct David. now Ad- it tells us one thing. Maybe as Christians we can be so backslidden that the Lord has to use the ungodly to correct us. But friends, never be so proud to not listen
1: to the ungodly. Maybe there, there is a word from them that the Lord is bringing and to apply it to you. Though the motive, it seems, was wrong. Certainly
0: Joab didn't really care about David, we know that. But what he could see was obvious. And you know, sometimes the ungodly can see what is obvious and what we can be so blind to. It seems a, a very strange thing, doesn't it? You know, sin can blind us. Now you notice that there's a, a very... There's a sort of tussle between Judah and the northern tribes. The northern tribes, there were ten of them. And of course Judah, Benjamin is numbered there, that's why we have the ten. And then Judah is always, Benjamin is with Judah in the south. So that's why there's the ten. It's not like there's eleven tribes here. But notice there's this sort of tussle about bringing the king back. Should we bring him back or not? Well, we we'll some of them said, well, may as well. Absalom's dead now. Well, let's just take David back. It's not seem to be the right reason, is it? He should be taken back because he is the Lord's anointed, not simply because Absalom is dead. You can see the weak position David is in now. Verse 9, And all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the land of our enemies, And he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land of Absalom. And Absalom, who we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? This is what the tribes of Israel say. And the king and king David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, speak, unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house, seeing the speech of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? Now it seems rather strange. Of course, you know David is from the tribe of Judah. The the tribe of Judah are the very last to bring him back. seems to be a a real reluctance. He has to send the, the two priests here. Abiathar and Zadok, to encourage Judah to bring them back. Now this seems a very wrong thing. Absalom, of course, was a murderer. He was
1: not the rightful king. He was not the heir. And Judah should have known that. Judah don't seem to have the
0: affection they have for David. Well, perhaps they were incensed at all that he has done. And we can understand that.
1: But you see, that here's the problem. There wasn't a fixed principle to honor the Lord. Who was the more rightful king? David or Absalom? Well, it's obvious. David
0: was the anointed king and Absalom tried to kill his father. They should never have departed Israel or Judah from David. They should never have Jump ship, as it were. They should never have given Absalom a moment's support. That's the problem from the start. Although David, we could say, was a sinner and guilty of the things that he had done wrong, yet he was still the Lord's anointed. Now, what we notice here is David compromises. And this is, this is where we see David's weakness. And, and this is how we can be as sinners when we're in a backslidden state. We can make terrible compromises. And what you notice is here, David compromises in assuring Judah that there will be no reprisals for those who had supported Absalom in Judah. He should not have said anything at this point. That seems to be the wise assessment. And you'll see here, notice... He says this, Ye are my brethren, ye are my bones. And by the way, this was the word that the Zadok and uh, Abiathar took back. And my flesh. Wherefore then, ye, the last to bring back the king. And ye say to answer, remember who he was? He was the one who who took the place of Joab, the, the military leader. Art thou not of my bone?" and of my flesh, God do so to me, and more, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. Now this was madness on David's part. He should never have, as wrong as Joab was and as sinful as Joab was, it was wrong for
1: him to replace Joab with somebody who was a rebel. I mean, at least Joab stood by him. But what he seems to do is give more honor to this man, Amsa, than to Joab. And that's
0: wrong. And he's doing this because he's weak, and he's playing political games. Joab surely
1: deserved justice. Yes. but this was not right.
0: In dealing with Joab in this way by displacing him with a rebel rebel army chief. That's who Amsa was. Remember how Absalom made him chief. This was wrong. And this is blameworthy of the highest order, friends. Now it went down down well with Judah. Seemed to be a
1: concession, but it was wrong, wasn't it? He's not acting on principle. Well, he this man Amser is rewarded for leading, you
0: think about it, the rebellion of Absalom. Just, just madness. But this is what sinners do when they're weak. They make compromises. And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they went sent his word unto the king, return thou and all my servants. Well, it seemed to work. But you know, David's position is increasingly untenable. Weakness. So under pressure, David acts, but he acts in a very unprincipled way, in a compromising way. You know, one wonders what the discerning men of Israel and Judah made of this. They must have thought, what has happened to David? He honors a rebel rather than somebody that has been faithful. Joab wasn't completely faithful, but Frenzy was far more faithful than Hamsa was, who tried to take his life. So notice what happens, verse 15, the king goes to Gilgal. Now you know Gilgal was a very special place. It was that place where Joshua and the people renewed their covenant before the Lord. Verse 15, so the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. It was a sort of a a place where they were really sort of reinstating David. It was a place where the covenant, as I said, was read with Joshua in earlier times and special occasions where the law was read. And so they're renewing here their covenant with David and with the Lord, but We've got to say, there was nothing of real substance at this time. There was no real loyalty to David. You see that? It was, it, it was done in the wrong way. David should have kept his mouth shut and brought judgment later. He should have trusted the Lord. You don't take matters in your own hands. He should have just said to, to, to Judah, don't you know that Samuel... The priest anointed me, and I am the anointed of the Lord, and God has made this promise that Solomon shall reign. We referred to it there, didn't we, from 1 Chronicles. He should have cited God's word. He should have stated the facts. He should have stated the fact that his son Absalom was a murderer. Instead of trying to win over the betrayers, Instead of trying to appease them, he's done the wrong thing. This is just playing politics, isn't it? So in verses 16 to 23, what we have is here's another thing. You can see again David making terrible compromises. He spares Shimei. Then Shimei the son of Gera, a Benjamite which was of Barim, "'hasted and came down with the men of Judah "'to meet King David. "'And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, "'and Zeba, the servant of the house of Saul, "'and his fifteen sons and twenty servants with him. "'They went over Jordan before the king, "'and they went over a ferry boat "'to carry over the king's household "'and to do what he thought good. "'And Shimei, the son of Gerar, "'fell down before the king, "'and he was come over Jordan.' And said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely that day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned, therefore behold, I am come the first day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. Now Shimei here appears to be genuine, but we know that this is a sham repentance. It's it's not real. If you turn to First uh, Kings chapter two, you'll see this.
1: Later on, David he warns Solomon about this man Shimei. First Kings two verse seven. He says
0: to Solomon, But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, who we'll read about in this chapter, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fed, fled because of Absalom thy brother. Now notice, And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, of Bahreem, who cursed me with a grievous curse. In the day when I went to Mahanaim, that came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with a sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man and knowest that thou oughtest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers. And so- These are the, his last words to Solomon. And you see, so David knows at the end of his life that this man's repentance was sham. It wasn't real. He knew it wasn't sincere.
1: What this man is doing here, Shimei, it's, it's all self-preservation. And it was foolish for David to receive him David was just acting in an
0: expedient way for political reasons. And this was wrong. He should have dealt with him much later. What happened to David's resolve? You know, from that Psalm 101, we read, I will sing of mercy and of judgment unto thee, O Lord. I will sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when thou wilt thou come to me, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. But he's not doing that here, is he? David, sadly, has fallen from godly principles. Remember those who stood out against him? He dealt with them firmly. But he's not doing it here. But you can see now, notice Abishai, the son of Zeruah, has to rebuke David. and Corrects him here, verse 21. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's
1: anointed. But David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah?
0: You see how David treats? Okay, these sons of Zeruah weren't always
1: faithful, but they speak the truth. And people are going to see through this eventually, David. And then
0: we have something else. We have Next we have in verse 24 onwards, Mephibosheth, who was slandered, remember, by Ziba. Remember who Ziba was, one of Saul's servants, and then he told David about this lame son of Jonathan, and who David looked after him, gave him food, let him sit at the king's table every day. And it's shown now that Ziba slandered him. And lied about Mephibosheth, making out as if Mephibosheth wanted to be king, but it couldn't have been anything further from the truth. Notice verse 24, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And by the way, we notice here, he didn't shave, he didn't wash himself the whole time. David was gone because he was mourning. He was grieved. And remember, he was lame. He couldn't get about that easily. And Zeba told him, I'll saddle the ass. I'll go and see David. And the whole thing is revealed here. But remember what Zeba said. Ziba said, you know, this Mephibosheth, he wants to be king, really. He wants power, David. Remember when he came with all the fruit and the great abundance to David in the wilderness? But now the truth comes out, doesn't it? You know, they always say, the truth comes out in the wash, doesn't it? It's true, isn't it? Be sure your sin will find you out, the Scriptures tell us. Now you notice, what do we notice here? Here comes Mephibosheth. And David asks him the question, verse 25, and it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Why, why didn't you come with me? Well, Mephibosheth tells him,
1: Ziba told me to stay back. Well, he's just telling the truth. He's not slandering Zeba, is he? Now notice, and he answered,
0: O my Lord, O king, verse 26 My servant deceived me, for thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. What's the reason? Couldn't walk. And he hath slandered thy servant unto the Lord the king. And then notice what he says, But Lord, king is an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. He says, I leave that with you, David. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet thou didst set my servant among them, that did eat at thine own table. What right have I yet to cry any more under the king? What a humble man this Mephibosheth is.
1: You've been so good to me, David, King David. I can't ask any more of you. I ought to be dead. Of course, he was of the household of Saul.
0: And notice what David says to him. And the king said unto him, verse 29 Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? In other words, I've heard it. You've told me the truth. I've heard it all. I've said, Thou and Zeba divide the land. What he's doing here, he should have rebuked Zeba. Never mind give half the land to Mephibosheth. He should have dealt with Zeba's slander. But he doesn't. He rewards Zeba and Mephibosheth.
1: Why? Political games. He's weak. Now, what you notice, as you will see, Mephibosheth doesn't need any of this. You say it at the end. I don't need it. I've got everything. And you'll see the same here with Barzillai.
0: Here's another man. We have Barzillai, this grand old man in verse 31 to the verse 40, who, remember, honored David and rewarded him and his men with such kind help when they were in distress. Remember when David and his men were... In hiding. And just like Mephibosheth, he's got no desire for any personal acknowledgement of help. David invites him back.
1: He says, Come back to Jerusalem with me. And Barzillai says, You know, I'm fourscore years old, I'm 80. What is this feasting? What a singing! What are all these things to an old man? In other words, the things of the world don't seem to attract Barzillai. And what he does is he sends Chimham in his place. Verse 31, And
0: Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Roglim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. Now Barzillai... We read there verse 32, was a very aged man, even four score years old, that's 80. And he had provided the king of sustenance while he lay at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Barzillai, come thou over with me, and I will feed thee with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said unto the king, how long have I to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? He said, I might die at any time. I'm this day four score years old, and so on. And he says, can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing and singing of women and men? Why then should thy servant be a burden to the king? And so on. In other words, the pleasures of honor of the king and the royal court seem to have no attraction to Barzillai. He says, "I, I could die at any moment. I have no need to be there. I'm going to meet the Lord soon. And this should be very instructive to us, shouldn't it? He is a man who had abundance of everything. Some people want to be seen amongst the popular and the, the worthies. But look at this godly man. And he was godly, like Mephibosheth. Pomp, parade. There's going to be a grand parade now. David going back to the city. A great feast. And Barzillai would have been the guest of honor. He says, David, I, I have no need. I'll go a little way with you. But I'll send this other man, Chimham in my place. So he goes. I mean, that, that's humility, isn't it? If ever there was humility. My friends, why is he acting in such a way? Well, he's got a better world to go to. It's the same for Christians. We don't need pomp and parade in this world, do we? To be amongst high society and so on. And by the way, David is not really acting in a good way either. He's making so many compromises in his life. He's letting people get off with their sin who shouldn't be.
1: And truly those who should be honored are not being honored. First. 41 to
0: verse 43, then we see, we understand the difference, don't we, between
1: true friends, notice, of David, and true honor like Mephibosheth and Barzillai, with those who were fickle, like Joab and Shimei.
0: There's a great difference, isn't there, between Mephibosheth and Barzillai and those like Joab and Shimei. You see this, Verse 40, then the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. So a great number. You notice, and behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said unto the king, Why
1: have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen thee away? and have brought the king and his household
0: and all David's men with him over Jordan. It's quite interesting now. Now you see Judah wanting to bring David back. And they seem to be taking a sort of lead part in this restoring David back. And the rest of Israel are becoming very suspicious of Judah now, who appear to be honoring David but were slow to do so to begin with. Remember, they had to send the two priests there. And they seem also to be very incensed by the prominence and the prominent part that Judah is taking as David is being reinstated as king in this
1: ceremony. Here again, pomp and pride, isn't it? What did they say? We notice Judah's response to this. Verse 41 this is Israel.
0: And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said unto the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen thee away? It seems as if now David has just given in to Judah, who, I mean, it was right that he accept
1: their invitation to be king again. It seems that there is no rebuke from David and have brought
0: the king and his household. It seems that Judah are leading an entourage of David. Of course, David was from the tribe of Judah, wasn't he? But the ten tribes of Israel here now become very incensed at the prominence that Judah has in leading David back to Jerusalem. Why has Judah brought the king? After all, They weren't very keen to have him as king a minute ago. Now notice Judah's response. is not wise and it's not peacemaking. And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is near of kin to us. My, when it suits people, it's funny how people change, isn't it? One minute they want him
1: and the next minute they say, you know what, he's closer to us than you are. You see this at funerals. I've seen it at family funerals.
0: People treat each other at a funeral, but in life. It's a very different story, isn't it? My friends, let me say this. The human heart is wicked. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What they're saying here in effect is the king is closer to us He is a nearer king, kin to us. And notice what they say. And besides,
1: have we eaten of all the kings of the king's cost? Or hath he given us any gift? He owes us. We don't owe him anything. He owes us. And then you notice what the ten
0: tribes claim? This is like tit for tat now, isn't it? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king, and we also have more right in David than ye. Why then did ye despise us, that our advice should not be first had in bringing back our king? <laughs> well, these are some home truths, aren't they? But they're not wisely spoken. It said rather in anger. I mean, it's right what they say. And we're told here, and the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Now, let me just say this as we round up everything here. Think of these men. All the characters that we've been dealing with in this chapter. You've got Mephibosheth. Humble. Barzillai. Humble. Mephibosheth he doesn't need any inheritance. Barzillai, he says, well, I don't really even need to be there. And you've got these tribes fighting over prominence. One minute, they're for David. Their next minute, they're not for David. Can you see this? Those who were really faithful to David are not really interested
1: in being acknowledged in the world's eyes. Some people want prominence in this world. Some
0: people, like Barzillai, are quite content to be at home. Because really they know that they have served the Lord throughout this whole time. They've not been doing it essentially for David, have they? Barzillai and Mephibosheth. They did whatever they did unto the Lord. These others wanted to be acknowledged. They wanted the the chief seat. They wanted to be in the eyes of the public, the grand people, the best, Judah, Israel. Which one is more prominent? The contrast between these people, whether men like Barzillai and Mephibosheth, they were basically saying, we don't need honor.
1: And that's the Christian, my friend. He says this every day, I don't need honor in the eyes of men. My honor is with God. The Lord knows his people, friends. The Lord
0: knows those who do things humbly in the church and who do it for him and for his glory. The Lord knows There were those who were there for David behind the scenes, and
1: yet, ultimately, they did it for the Lord. And when it came to David being restored, they weren't interested in being honored. You see, which men do we remember in all of this? It's men like Mephibosheth and Bazillai the humble. The Scriptures say,
0: "The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance." Yes, those people are the Lord's people. We thought in the prayer meeting this morning about honoring the Lord. Paul says this in First Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians 6, I close with this. He's speaking about the Lord's servants, by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true. In the eyes of men, that's what people think of Christians sometimes. Mephibosheth was made out to be a deceiver, and yet he was true. Paul says, as unknown and yet well known, well known of God, as dying, behold we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I tell you what, men like Mephibosheth and Bar Zillah were godly men. And these are the examples of men, aren't they? And David should have seen through all this sham, He should have seen through
1: the sham of Shimei. He should not have acquitted the ungodly. He was weak. And just remember, David never ever got back to the strength that he had in his kingship. And how we can fall when we succumb to sin. The scriptures say the fear of man bringeth a snare.
0: So let us be careful. Let us above all
1: fear God. And let me say this. Honor God even in grief. When a loved one is taken from you that is of the world, and they know the truth, and they've taken away, it's dishonoring, isn't it? It is dishonoring to go about mourning day after day and your walk be hindered and hampered because of your undue grief. Trust the Lord. He's good.
0: There is a cause. Thank God you are saved by God's grace. He has brought you to know Jesus Christ. And we should be taken up far more with the things that are eternal and the things that are temporal. We should not be concerned about honor in this life, but are honoring the Lord. And if you honor the Lord, I tell you what, you will be kept from all manner of sin. May the Lord help you and me as we pass through this
1: difficult world. For his name's sake. Amen.